0: Welcome to the Burning Rooms podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we connect you to the prayer movement in Canada and beyond, where we have the conversations, share the stories to strengthen your corporate and personal prayer life. My name is Johan, and today we have a special guest with us. We have Justin Rizzo from IHOP Kansas City. He is a worship leader there where he served for many years. He runs a worship blog, a worship academy. He's a singer, songwriter, recording artist. He does a lot of things, and he just started his own podcast called The RizCast. Make sure you check that out and subscribe. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's good to be here. We have Justin on today to talk about a new album, and by the time this recording comes out, the album will have just released, I believe. Mm -hmm. But now we finally got this new album. It's, I mean, you've had some projects in between, but this is your personal project. You've been talking about putting out an album for a while. So maybe you can share a little bit about the journey that the Lord took you on to finally getting this out.
1: Yeah. So releasing music has been a, um, it's been a journey, you know, with singing here at the House of Prayer, Uh, I've been on full-time staff as a worship leader for 15 years, you know, as part of my job responsibility is that's to do six two-hour prayer meetings a week, and so you're singing live, you know, 12 hours a week, and one of the things that I love that we do at the House of Prayer is the focus isn't just on singing worship songs or even just on intercession, it's actually focused on devotionally singing the scriptures and studying theology in a, you know, singing commentary sort of environment. And so from doing that, the word is in your heart. And so I've loved, you know, writing songs on the stage, off the stage, you know, with my friends who've also done this as well. I and mean, we've done some writing in the past, you know, and so it's just a a joy to get to, you know, record music and make music that, you know, gives glory to the Lord that expresses, you know, kind of the, the facets of who he is. Yeah. So it's just a real uh, desire in my heart to do that.
0: So why did it take so long to release this album here?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, at the end of it, now looking back, uh, it's been about 10 years, um, and I have the testament that, you know, it's it was the Lord's good and perfect, wise plan. However, it did not feel like that while I was waiting. And there was a lot of, you know, talk about, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, record an album, whatnot, uh, and it never happened. And so for years, I literally just kind of Did the one thing that I could do, you know, I kept writing, continued to have, you know, multiple times a week of just setting myself to write songs, to co-write with other people, um, as well as doing other projects, you know, like you mentioned, the different musicals, produced a Christmas record, did a a more of acoustic EP, um, you know, in that time as well.
0: So the first EP you released here in February leading up to this album was Paid It All. Yep. That's a song from Caleb Andrews from Atlanta. Yes. So, how did that come about, wanting to call your first EP Paid It All after a song you didn't write? So, where's the journey in that song?
1: Yeah. Well, Caleb and I, we did um, the same internship here in Kansas City back in 2004. We were both really, really young. And so, we have been really, really good friends. He was here in Kansas City for several years. And then he moved to the International House of Prayer in Atlanta. And he is actually now in Africa doing missions work with his family. So Caleb is, he's been a good friend, but he has had my greatest admiration for his life. Um, yeah, he's a skilled guy, he can write songs, beautiful voice, but just, you know, when we would connect on a several times a year basis on the phone, you know, as one of those friends, you just pick up right where you left off, and I had, you know, such respect for his walk with the Lord, for his love for his family, um, his love for prayer, his love for um, he did a lot of missions work. He he loved going into prisons and ministering to people. And so he just always, you know, I so honored and admired him in that way. And so he was here in Kansas City, actually, a couple of years ago, and I and I had him lead on my set here. It was a Thursday, 10 a.m., and it was in the briefing, and he was, you know, kind of preparing, showing some songs that he was going to do. So he played the song and also another song. After that set, I said, bro, we have to take the bridge from this song, which is his, and combine it into this other song and put them together, and so, so that's the version that you're going to hear um, on this album. The first EP is called "Paid It All," it is it's just a solid corporate worship song centered around the the beauty of the the
0: life and the death and the resurrection, the blood of Jesus. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because the version that he put out on his album, the bridge is different, and and the bridge that you have on the song is actually from his song "My Offering." Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if it was originally written the way that you do it on the album, and then he just kind of took that bridge and moved it. Nope. He is he is the author of both of them and I uh, requested his permission
1: to combine those two together.
0: So he was okay with that. He was, yeah. I mean when I when I lead it at our house of prayer, I end up doing it the way you do it. Sometimes I'll add his bridge on as a additional tag and it just makes for a nice, I don't know, nice long song. So it's a great original bridge. I'm not I'm not trying to knock that. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I enjoy both bridges. And we've got a few clips to play. Maybe let's play that that part of the song, the bridge. Here's the bridge from Paid It All.
2: Your wounds are the entrance that you have provided For those who've been captive To find a new life, all the hell-bound and hurting The broken and dirty, Lord, that's how you found me
0: I just love that. It sounds amazing. And I could just feel my heart getting engaged ready, and wanting to sing that. However, this song really does crescendo at the chorus. Are you okay if we play that chorus for our birding Rooms audience today? Yeah, that's great. Yeah.
2: blood does command on my worship, I worship, hallelujah. I fall at the feet of the Savior, who suffered for me, and I worship, I worship you alone.
0: Such a great song, still one of my favorites. So if you're a worship leader you know, in a house of prayer or even a church, you should, you should lead that one. Again, it's on Justin's first EP, Paid It All. You can go check it out. So the title track of, of your full-length album here, Love So Fierce, it will have just come out when this podcast airs. Again, another great song. And I've heard you do this one in the prayer room quite a bit. We're going to play a clip of that song. So here's the title track for Love So Fierce. So I love that you got your wife Naomi involved in this one. Just yeah. feels like, I don't know, being a very—it seems like a really intimate song. Uh, when I'm listening to it, I'm like, wow, it's—it's kind of cool that he was able to bring his wife on this one. It's such an intimate song. So, what's the story of this one? Where did it? Where did this song come out of? Where was it birthed?
1: Yeah, um, right from the prayer room actually. This is a um, an old chorus lyrics that um, a really, really good friend of mine and singer and worship leader here at the House of Prayer named Lisa Gottschall came up with years ago when we were doing a set together. I've never known a love so fierce. I've never known a love so tender. And uh, it had a different melody to it. So when we were kind of preparing for this album, I got together with Lisa and we kind of tweaked some things. Then I brought another writer in as well named Aaron Valdiviez. And we further tweaked some things. And then when I was working on it in the studio, um, my producer named Pete Kipley, he also kind of added some things. So it's the four of us that really, you know, brought this song um, to what it is today. But the I love the the idea that it spawned from was from the prayer room. I, I love when that happens, you know, just the singing of theology about uh, the love of the Lord. And, you know, because it's so easy to, to sing about the love of the Lord today in corporate worship songs, and we hear about it all the time, and it's it can be very... Sometimes to be like, well, what does that mean? Is it just the warm and fuzzies that I feel? Does it just mean that God, you know, forgives me when I sin and I'm going to heaven forever? So when this we're singing in the prayer room in the set about, you know, how the the love of the Lord is so tender with us in our weakness, His mercy is new every morning, uh, and we love that reality. And I'd say that's that's kind of the main facet that we've sung about in regards to the love of God. But in the set, we were also singing about the the fierce. Love of God, and those are not in opposition to one another. He He possesses all of that within His being. Uh, he doesn't suspend, you know, His tenderness when He's fierce, and vice versa. It, it is who God is, uh, but we don't talk about that much. We don't sing about that much. And there's, you know, a jealous God. It says, you know, in the Bible, numerous times that He is jealous, and it even talks about, you know, when when He returns, how He's going to, um, you know, execute His judgment. You know upon the nations, and that that's a fierce love that's a love that you know i I love and i and we worship the same God He's the same yesterday today and forever but so in this song we we tried to you know bring those two realities together
0: oh, that's cool it does feel like a contrasting idea, but Again, like you were saying, that's kind of the tozer quote. It's like he doesn't suspend one attribute to mm-hmm. impose another attribute. He's he's always loving, he's always just, and he's always righteous all at the same time. He doesn't stop being loving in order to impose judgment, but his judgments are are lovely and his judgments are beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And actually like on this song you have the line, Your love is like a fire. It is the brightest flame. I, I just found it interesting poetically that you're using both a metaphor and a simile kind of in the same line. That so that's kind of creative. That's not something you see very often.
1: Yeah. I, I give that credit to Aaron Valdiviaz. I think he came up with that. But yeah, it's it's a beautiful a beautiful lyric and having I think having my wife, you know, in there just adds so much to that moment.
0: So you didn't record this album in Kansas City. Did you go somewhere else to record this album then?
1: Yeah. So the majority of this album was actually recorded in a place um, called Cisco, Texas. It is a very, very small place. I think there's like a Mexican restaurant and one fast food restaurant that are here. But there's a studio there called Ranchland Studios. Beautiful. I mean, epic studio. Go Google it. it's It'll blow your mind. It has, I think, like five or six um, like Westin hotel rooms attached to the actual studio. So you literally drive there, um, you know, a couple hours outside of Dallas, and you bring your food, there's a, a kitchen, dining area, hotel rooms, beautiful studio, all the gear you could ever want. And so um, it was predominantly recorded there. Uh, we did cut some vocals here, some vocals in uh, Nashville, but primarily was all recorded there in Cisco.
0: So you have a different producer on this one than you've had in the past. I, I could just tell by the the sounds that are coming out, its it sounds a little bit different than what you've put out in the past. Like, it's really good. It's still you, but it's just a different flavor.
1: I mean, Pete Kipley, who's become a great, close, personal friend of mine, is the one who produced this record, and he did a phenomenal job. He is um, not only a musical genius, but the, the heart, uh, the work ethic, and the spirit that he brings with him into the studio, he just creates environments to draw the best out of the musicians and it's really cool the many of you guys listening might be familiar with upper room they're a church based in dallas and their kind of main musicians there are the ones who actually played on this record and so it was so cool just having that um just having the spirit present having the spirit invited having the spirit you know tangible not only in in singing and in lyrics that we write but also in in the player's as they, you know, they're coming from Upper Room, this place where they spend, you know, morning, noon, and night. They have um, expressions of prayer, and so they're coming from that environment, you know, to play on this record. It was, it was really, really special.
0: That's awesome. I just, I love the different flavor that it has too, and the musicality and the creativeness that we've heard so far. Uh, so this third song that you sent me, "Live and Breathe." Okay, now I know this one. Uh, I know it from the prayer room, and every time I hear it, the pre-chorus and the course specifically being. Play in the prayer room. I don't. I'm not really familiar with the verses in the song, but the pre-chorus and the chorus for sure. Whenever they come on in the prayer room, I don't get much work done when I'm in my office. I just feel forced to stop whatever whatever I'm doing and just really. it, It takes me to a place of worship and encounter with the Lord. I just find myself stopping, pausing to connect with Him, and there's this progressive build to the song you know it's like you're climbing a mountain you got those quarter notes and then you hit those eighth notes and then you're just there well instead of me talking about it anymore let's just play a clip of it this is live and breathe
2: By grace and mercy and it's falling i want to live and breathe presence and drink you in and take you in I will hide your word in my heart I'll drink you in and take you in I want to live and breathe in your presence and drink you in and take you in I will hide your word in my heart I'll drink you in take you in
0: love love that song so glad you put it on the album yeah i like to think that songs are not really written but that they're more birthed so what's the birth story behind this song
1: yeah this is a song that came out again in the prayer room spontaneously gosh a long time ago many many moons ago and um we had done a couple different versions of it and it wasn't, it just wasn't quite landing the way that I wanted it to. And so um, my wife and I um, just got together one night and we spent some time on it. And I feel like the changes that she made really brought it more into that. Okay, this feels like it's landed now. But yeah, that, that song is really, you know, um, just a deep cry of my heart. You know, I want to live and breathe in your presence to drink you in, to take you in. You know, I will hide your word in my heart. And yeah, I just, I love that. I love that song.
0: So it means a lot to you personally. You've you found yourself encountering the Lord in the midst of it. And...
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So those are the songs that I've heard up to this point. So where can our listeners get the album? It is
1: available everywhere now. Everywhere that you can stream music, buy music, download music. Awesome.
0: Let's say there's some worship leaders listening to uh, this podcast. Is there a way they can get the chord charts and that sort of thing to play in their communities?
1: Yes, SpotlightMusicGroup.com.
0: So I'll have all those websites in the show notes. You can check it out. So go pick that album up. I know I'm going to enjoy it. So I know that songwriting is a big passion of yours. I love your teaching. I've taken one of your songwriting courses, actually. And it's been a huge encouragement to me. And it keeps me wanting to write every time I've talked to you. Uh, So as worship leaders and songwriters that are listening to this, we don't always... Not every listening is going to produce these amazing albums. So, what role does songwriting play in these smaller houses of prayer, church communities that they're not necessarily writing to produce media and and music that's going to be sung in churches everywhere?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have to look at the core of what the Lord has has called you to do, and you know, the Lord never says um, lights, camera, action, smoke, fog, big. You know, all these things that it's so easy in our culture to look at because of the media and, you know, Facebook media, social media are are a real tool to be a real challenge because it's so easy to do a quick scroll through Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is and just instantly be like, oh man, if only I had this, what this person had, if only I could do this. And so really it's, I think the the larger fight and the larger answer to that question is what's the Lord called you to do? And if you say, I feel the Lord's called me to, um, you know, produce music that many people will sing, then that's awesome. Then you have to start it at the first step of that, and that's to be faithful to write, you know, and it's it's a daily, I would say a daily thing that you want to give yourself to um, just that craft of writing and continue to, you know, to to form what the Lord has put inside of you and get that out in whether it's painting or dance or, you know, melodies or lyrics and songs or whatever it is. And so I think really it just comes down to an issue of stewardship, being faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. And I have a really big passion. It's part of one of the things that I, I coach worship leaders on in some of the different online trainings that I do. It's to really focus on building a community where you're at, a songwriting community where you're, you know, covering and singing each other's songs in you know a province or in a county or in a city or whatever it is, and not not always you know having to go. Oh, it's it's global, you know, number one hits or nothing. You know, like yeah. uh, I mean, you can pray and believe for whatever you feel God's put in your heart. Absolutely. I would never tell someone not to do that. But um, where's God planted you? Where's God, you know, rooted you and asked you to build? You know, it, until he's he calls you elsewhere, I, I think you'd be faithful to steward and build what he's asked you to do.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an important message for us, just to steward. Just to steward what the Lord has asked us to do in this season and to carry it well. And if he's asked us just to lead worship in a small house group and write songs for that house group, we need to steward that. So one of the challenges I've found over the years in songwriting is getting the songs onto the stage. Do you have any thoughts or what's the best way to introduce new songs that you've written to your community? I
1: would say one of the first things that that I personally is I show it to somebody else before it ever hits the stage. And, you know, a trusted friend, you don't want to you know, show it to just anybody, but, you know, ask someone who you respect their craft, ask someone who is giving themselves to their craft and uh, just ask for feedback, ask for thoughts. And they may have some great, you know, points that make you go back to the writing room and have to spend another couple of days or a couple of weeks on it. But then, you know, once that vetting process is kind of done, you know, if you have a band, I would, you know, try and Introduce it at a, at a band practice and walk through some different things if it's any kind of an arrangement you want to do. If it's just you and, you know, a djembe or a cajon player, then just do it. You know, start plucking the guitar, start playing the keys, and he'll get the rhythm and you guys can just, just go to it. I always think, you know, obviously a real practical thing is having the lyrics available
0: on the screen is always helpful for for people to engage. Would you just say a large portion of your the songs you've brought to the stage have actually started there during your worship sets or...
1: I would say, I would say half and half. There was definitely a season where I could say that, but the past seven, eight, nine years, I've done a lot of um, co-writing offstage since a lot of times, you know, the starting point might be a chorus that just came out that week or whatever it is. So I think probably about half and half. And I think it's, you know, it's important to know that it's not, you know, better or less than, no matter how you do it. You know, there's, there's people who, you know, co-write in writing rooms, you know, all day long and they're. Doing an amazing job of communicating deep theology, putting it into song that people can sing. There's other people who, you know, like much like what we've done, Johan, for years is, you know, you're in a prayer room, spontaneously singing theology to Psalm 23, and choruses come out, you know, and then you write songs based on that, you know. So I think either or is is definitely, but for me, it's definitely been uh, probably an even split.
0: So how much of a role does that play in in scheduling your time to actually write if you're going to produce songs? Do you Are you intentional with the amount of time that you spend in the writing room?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're going to make time for what is valuable to you. If it's the newest show on Netflix, you will make time. Even if you work nine to five, you got a wife and three kids or whatever it is, you're going to make time for what is important to you. So if, again, this goes back to what I said earlier, if you feel... Called by the Lord to do it, you know all the more um, that oh, it's not just like a hobby that I'm avoiding or neglecting. But if you feel called by God, I would take that really serious. And you know, instead of trying to do um, oh, I'm just going to do a three day writing retreat, you know, once a year. Instead of doing that, you know, I would more challenge yourself. And I'm actually uh, preparing a songwriting challenge. I'm going to be running through my uh, my online training gathering any singer musician worship leader songwriter who wants to to do a challenge with me will actually be a a daily writing task that you have you know for 15 10 15 minutes a day because i think sometimes when you know it's like oh i need to get like you know 3 days away to edit this book or to write this song or whatever it, well it can be with how crazy life is it can be easy for that to never happen however if you're like tomorrow i'm going to set my alarm fifteen minutes earlier and get up and the first thing I'm gonna do is write poetry. Then that's a an easily attainable task. You can do, you know, five days a week starting tomorrow morning.
0: That sounds great. Especially for those worship leaders that want to do something like that. Where can they connect with you to be able to jump in on something like that?
1: Probably the best place would be my Instagram. That's where I'm I'm the most active on my Insta stories and on my um my page as well. But you can also go to JustinRizzo.com And there's some different classes listed there as well that you can check out.
0: Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes for our listeners. Songwriting tends to have a lot of trends, especially in worship music. I I just see a lot of it sounds the same in different seasons quite often. Where do you see it going in the next decade? Do you have any thoughts of where the Lord is taking songwriting for the church in the next decade?
1: I wish I had a a deep poetic answer. I I don't. You know, I... I just, I'm living in a place of, of loving, loving music, loving the scriptures. And, you know, I, I am, you know, happy with a lot of what I'm seeing happen in the worship movement where, you know, yes, you're going to have elements and, you know, portions of it where it's, it's about, you know, money or whatever it is and getting hits or whatever. But there are a lot of amazing people, you know, that I've met over the years who have a, a fierce devotion to not only singing the scriptures, but creating songs where then, you know, people can also sing along with them. And I think of David, you know, many commentators believe that, you know, he didn't just write psalms and write songs because he needed a hobby uh, or he felt called to be a songwriter, but that's actually the way that he taught uh, theology to his nation. And so, you know, that that's one thing that that definitely, you know, burns on my heart. And so, yeah, where it's going in the next decade, I I don't know, I'd love to hear what you think
0: yeah I don't know there are so many well known songwriting communities out there right now Bethel upper room house fires and the list goes on and on and on so i I was just curious to where it's gonna go i just I guess we just go for this ride and see where the Lord wants to take it yeah, so how much do you expose yourself to the other worship music out there are you are you kind of listening to all streams and just seeing what's going on and do you Take pieces from that, or is it mostly just what the Lord's speaking to you personally?
1: Um, probably to my detriment. I don't really listen to a lot of worship music, and again, being in you know a twenty-four-seven environment, I hear a lot of it. You know, and so when when my job is to to be in a room where there's nonstop worship and music and theology and singing, typically when I leave that space, um, I'm trying to reserve the rest of my sound waves for you know personal creativity. Um, I really enjoy listening to soundtracks, you know, and I enjoy listening to uh, musicals and those sorts of things. But in terms of worship, again, to my detriment, probably I I don't listen to to a lot of it.
0: So besides songwriting, I know that you write a lot on your blog about building worship teams and and a healthy worship culture in your church community. So what prompted you to really press into this idea to create resources around the idea of building a healthy worship team?
1: Yeah. So I think for me, it kind of spawned from how I had done it wrong for so many years. And then I, I began, I remember it was several years ago, taking, it was Wednesday nights. Uh, my wife was in a Bible study, a women's Bible study, and I would go to the prayer room from six to 10. And I remember just every Wednesday night from six to 10, I would just write out my experience as a worship leader of where I had failed, of where I had succeeded or done well at. And I didn't know at the time that I was you know working on a, a book For worship leaders, you know, how to grow as a worship leader. I didn't know it would turn into a blog, I didn't know it would turn into a podcast into, you know, choruses and everything else that I have online. But it's just kind of just my experience, you know. And one of the beautiful things about the International House of Prayer and Houses of Prayer in general is that you get to to worship so much more frequently than you would if you were just on staff at a church. I mean, picture, you know, four or five hundred member church. And there's three or four worship teams. So already you're like maybe in rotation, you know, once every other month or once a month or however they break it down. But at a house of prayer, you know, um, I was on three worship teams for a season down to two worship teams and on one worship team, you know, uh, in different, you know, breakdowns over the past 15 years. And so uh, it was a year ago, January, that I passed 10,000 hours of leading worship on a platform with a band. And, you know, I don't say that to impress anyone at all, but more to impress upon them that, you know, I've I've definitely seen some highs and I've seen some lows in my time of worship leading. And that's really where, um, you know, these choruses, where this blog, where my podcast, where this book comes from, is just sharing my experience, you know, from, from those hours.
0: You were on three different teams earlier on. I find when you're on multiple teams that it's actually difficult to build community around that because there's three different communities that you got to build around then to build a healthy worship team. For those that are in houses of prayer and are on multiple teams, how would you go about that?
1: I would if at all possible, discourage that from happening if possible, I know it's not always possible, but i would I would even probably lessen my hours um, to make it possible to have you know people not pulling double duty on multiple teams because for the long haul um, community, having um true friendship and true relationships with people not just on a platform you know singing the bible and, and interceding for different things but actually off the platform is so so valuable and you know so looking back over the 15 years i would i would definitely say that community is is one of the the major keys that is needed to sustain not even just worship teams but just in general our lives um you know with the lord we're called to love him with all of our heart and also to love others. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to be like, I'm going to go in the prayer room and then go feed the homeless. And yes, that is loving God and loving others. Um, but I, I believe when it, you know, when you come a little bit closer together with someone else and a human that you're building relationship with, sometimes it can be even more difficult than just going and passing out food at a shelter. And so I think just seeking to have that community in your life is very, very key um, to sustain a house of prayer
0: for the long term. It's interesting. Because I think it's common right now, especially for smaller houses of prayer, and even the larger ones, I think there's there's a little bit of a shaking where there's less people right now in the in the movement, it feels like. Less resources. The Lord's kind of stretching us. Yeah. So those of us who are not twenty four seven, you're basically saying it's it's probably a better idea to have less hours and just a few really strong teams.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I would have along with the staff requirements at your house of prayer, um, not only times where you're, you know, in the room praying in the seats and in the room on the stage, I would have in another room studying the Bible with a group of people, in addition to times where your, you know, your lives are the focal point, where you're talking about the not to make the Bible not real, but the real stuff, if you will, your day-to-day, you know, how is your your marriage going? How is parenting going? How are your friendships? You know, how's your heart really because um, it's so easy in our culture to um, look at someone on a platform and just assume, man, they are so deep, and they're so spiritual. When in actuality, maybe they're really hurting, maybe they're really, really in pain, maybe they don't have any true friends. So I would absolutely recommend that.
0: Yeah, I've heard you talk many times how the worship leader is supposed to take that pastoring role, essentially, with their team and getting together, getting together regularly, you know, just having fun and doing Bible studies together. Maybe writing songs together, it's a good way to do that and cultivate that pastoral relationship that you have with your team and that team dynamic. And I think you just go a lot deeper, even in the revelation that you're singing, because you're studying the word together and you're praying the word together. And the stuff that can come out of your worship team when you're doing that with the word in front of you in, in other contexts really will bring forth greater revelation when you're actually singing it on the stage. So that's good advice. And, and I remember when I was down in Kansas City, you pulled me into your briefings and you allowed me to join the team once. And you guys really, it felt like a house group, a real strong community aspect. And you had those conversations like, how are you doing? How's, how's your mom doing in this area? And you really understood uh, what's going on in their lives. And you you guys would leave the house of go for a walk down the street and just hang out and have fun at the same time. And that really, it caused me to really crave that kind of community amongst my worship peers and those that, those that are around me playing instruments. I just, I really felt that that would be really valuable. Something that can really grow our team and the quality of what's coming out in yeah. our prayer. So, Absolutely. So when you're building healthy, strong teams, how much of that falls on the worship leader? Or is it mostly coming from the top, from from your director or pastor? I think
1: that no matter what you know the the pastor or your leader is is doing, you know you are in control of what happens to the people underneath you. Obviously within the boundaries and the guidelines that they're giving you, but I can't imagine you know hearing a pastor or a leader saying, "Hey, I don't want you taking your your team you know out for coffee," you know yeah. <laughs> like so. And if you, if you if you're listening to this, you say, "Well, I definitely don't have that gift. I'm an introvert or whatever it is." Uh, I'm right there with you. You know, my wife calls me a trained extrovert. <laughs> I mean, I prefer, um, you know, deep conversations in a one on one context over a good coffee. I'm not the life of the party guy. I don't like going to big events, you know, whatever, uh, where I have to like have 20 superficial conversations in two hours, I'd rather have one deep two hour conversation. That's me. So, you know, there's all kinds of things that can work against us and whatever. And like, oh, it's not, it's not on my strength finders test or it's not, you know, whatever all the personality tests that we have now, which can be helpful, but it can also sometimes cause us just to lurk in our corner of what we don't like. And because I'm not gifted that way, you know? So yeah, it really does start with the worship leader, seeing a value for it and seeing that it's worth their while, you know, seeing that the the team's not just there to to sound good, to make you look good, to make your voice sound good. And they can all play their instrument, and you know we can go home happy. Um, you know that's that's more of like a performance. That's something you're doing uh, in a, a church. Like if you're if you're building something for the long haul, um, then you have to have those elements present, uh, no matter w- what's happening around you.
0: I saw an article you put out recently about holding auditions for your team. So what about those communities that really are stretched for resources, and you have someone? Really anointed come into your midst that can play an instrument really well, but their heart's not necessarily really connected to your community. I mean, it's easy to audition those people musically, but what about the heart piece? Like, we we had this conversation on one of our podcasts, talent versus heart. Where's the balance in that? Wherever you found that,
1: mm, yeah, great question. I don't know if there is a dogmatic answer to it. You know, the way that I've tried to walk it out is to to recognize talent. And sometimes you have to understand that the heart is coming or it will come, and it may not be there right now. But how long you wait, how long you work with someone before you say, hey, I'm not sure if your heart's there, um, I don't know. You know, I, I am of the opinion, I would definitely lean more this way, that that I would never um, deny someone or sit someone down for quote-unquote pride, or their heart not being you know connected to us. Or like, oh, well, you're you're more at the church down the road. Or when you talk about you know, even theology, you're more like you sound like this type of person. So, you know, I'm gonna like make ways for you not to be on my team. You know, all that kind of stuff is just I would strongly, you know, caution people from from exercising that and instead say, what can we learn from this person? Now, of course, while keeping the the nucleus and the central DNA of the team uh, it is your core beliefs, your church, or your pastor, whoever it is, your house prayer director. Obviously, you want to keep those core beliefs. But there's been numerous times where I have asked musicians and singers, and w- even worship leaders who uh, maybe I didn't even necessarily like understand or even fully agree with the certain points that they were saying or whatever. But I would actually have them share it a Bible study to say, "Hey, like we want to be open to hearing this. Obviously, we're not we're not talking about heresy. Right. We're talking about you know some differences." um about different theological points. And so I would, if if at all possible, to to welcome people with open arms and seek to go on a journey with them. And and I, I have articles on my website as well about something called the vision and values nights, where you know auditions are step number one. Uh once they pass an audition, to me, that person's not on the team. At that point you say, hey, we have now said that you're um skilled enough. Now you're welcome to come to what's called a vision and values night. That might be one night. It might be you know, one quarter a year, it might be continual, you know, might take just take the summers off, you have two semesters, however, it works out with your schedule. And in those times, it's not just about great, you sound like Whitney Houston, let's get you up on there Sunday morning and blow people's minds. Now it's about, hey, on Thursday night, you know, before you even come to a Sunday, show up on Thursday night for eight weeks in a row, we're going to go over the theological vision and values of our team, we're going to go over the practical vision and values of our team. I'm going to see if you show up on time, I'm going to see if you can interact well with other people, I'm going to see if you'll have a heart to reach out to the weaker singers that are already on the team. So, you know, that's that'd be my recommendation. Take the take the long game. But so many worshipers I talk to, and I get it because we're we're sometimes in small venues, and it's like we're just desperate to get somebody up on that platform. It's like I got I auditioned them or I didn't even audition them. I just saw them tapping on the back of the church seat, and I needed a drummer, so I got him up there. I get it. <laughs> but you know, if at all possible, do your due diligence, play the long game, and really get a, a heart connect with people.
0: That's great. There's some, some great wisdom and advice there. You have a lot of resources on your website that really speaks to these things that you want to share with our listeners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, JustinRizzo.com um, forward slash blog. Um, there's a bunch of articles on there, and I'm typically posting once a week on Tuesday mornings. And there's if you want to get an email notification whenever I, I do post, um, you can download my free ebook, 10 Keys to Being a Successful Worship Leader, which is right on the homepage at JustinRizzo.com. And as well, on the website where there's the free ebook um, ebook, 10 Keys to Being a Successful Worship Leader, um, below that, you'll see a couple of different tabs of some different online trainings that I have. Um, I have a, a training that I did on um, what we call the harp and bowl model. I basically just changed the name of it to the enjoyable prayer model, and there's about 40 teachings that I've done in there that basically talk about how to sing the Bible, how to mix worship and prayer together. How to um, sing it for the theology and to go deep in the Word through meditation. Um, there's some different like live coaching options that you have on there. But then the, the kind of the flagship program that I have, it's called the Worship Leader Academy. So the Worship Leader Academy is a, a six-month program. Um, there's 41 different teachings that happen, and it's broken down into three different modules. So module one is the first two months. Really gets into kind of the, the the foundations of worship for you as a person, as a worship leader, and then module three is what I talked about earlier with helping worship leaders establish communities in their city and their region to have songwriting you know to have just that community you know around the area where, where they live and really, I created these resources to to help worship leaders who feel you know isolated and overworked and unfocused as worship leaders um, experience hope and experience joy. You know, what we're called to as worship leaders is is such a beautiful reality. And I think sometimes it's easy for leaders or different people just to assume, you know, hey, you're on a platform singing in front of people every week. Like, what problem could you possibly have in the world? Like, that's a huge, you know, opportunity that you have. And we actually lose sight that, you know, a lot of these worship leaders feel isolated. A lot of them feel overworked and they feel unfocused. And so really these trainings, what my heart is, is to help people experience peace and confidence and connect uh, and to create thriving worship communities.
0: Are there any options for uh, like a community, maybe three or four worship leaders to do a course together?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely um, have some different options available where, you know, different worship leaders want to get together and and can have access to it. And what really sets the Worship Leader Academy specifically apart from every other worship leader training out there is that all of my clients um, have personal one-on-one unlimited access to me for the whole six months. Wow! So we're not just talking about, you know, once a month on a zoom call in a group, and maybe you get to ask your question or share, you know, how, what this person said is really hurt you and you're traumatized. It, it literally gives you unlimited access to me, um, for six months. And so, um, we could definitely, you know, work out some different ways to, you know, to,
0: to have that happen. Well, that sounds awesome. So if you're a director or a pastor, even of a community, uh, this is something you should actually get for your worship leaders. Like, pay for them to take this course. It is, I mean, I can attest to Justin's heart and and his teaching. I've I've been through some of it, and it's all excellent and really encouraging, and it will strengthen your worship teams and your worship leaders. So thanks so much, Justin. Good stuff, man. Thank you. So this has been another episode of the Burning Rooms Podcast. Again, if you want to find out more information on all the stuff that Justin talked about today, we will have that in the show notes, or you can visit his website at justinrizzo.com and pick up the new album. It is awesome. If you want to find out more information about our podcast, get a hold of us, visit our website at burningrooms.ca. You can also find us on Instagram at Rooms, and we also have a Patreon page, a way for you to partner with us, become part of our team. We have equipment that we need to keep upgrading. And if you join our Patreon, there's tons of extra content for you to enjoy. So check out what the benefits are. You can find a link in our show notes. And again, if you enjoy this show, share it with your friends, your community, because it could encourage them as well. Until next time, my name is Johan, and this has been the Burning Rooms Podcast.
2: Let your will be my will, your desire. Mine, all your fullness Come fill me Let your will be my will Your desires become mine